In 2014, you won the LVMH Prize. Did you expect it's, to win? You're never going to say yes. No, <laughs> no, I didn't. It could have gone in any direction. I had no idea. And what was really special and what's extremely special about the prize is that the majority of the final judging panel are, is made up of, of, um, of fashion designers. Yeah. Which, of course, we all know usually work on instinct and emotion. So, you know, Marc Jacobs could have seen one caller and just fallen in love and been mm. like, this is it. Without the prize, do you think you'd be in a very different position with it? Because there have been times mm. for you where you have really struggled to kind of, you know, keep things going. Absolutely. I mean, with any business, you need money. Um, you know, it's very expensive, whether you're, you know, manufacturing juice boxes or mm. clothing having a business, an independent business it, and staff, it costs a lot of money and um, I didn't come from a business background and I don't necessarily come from a, a wealthy background so mm. I kind of started a business with a student debt and <laughs> <laughs> just kind of winged it. Um, so yeah, it did really come at a pivotal time for me and it really did, you know, the money, uh, I think that was one of the things that was really funny at the beginning when you know, I had just won, where so many journalists are asking, you know, like, oh, what is it like, no, 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 and what are you taking from it? And the immediacy of it, obviously, it's like cash. Mm -hmm. You know, this is great. I've got, I've got money coming in, mm -hmm. which is really fantastic. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was a difficult time for me, I think, around there in particular. I think it was, it was sort of, I feel like I was reaching, um, sort of a climactic moment where attention to what I was doing from a more sartorial perspective and, and from a media angle mm. seemed to be going quite well. Yeah. Um, and I think people were developing a little bit more of a, a language with me and an understanding of, of I guess, a creative world. Um, but that can kind of grow and develop and, and, and sort of skyrocket Mm. quite easily and then you realize that the commercial side of the industry is very segregated it's very separate yeah um, so I really did feel there was this strong imbalance doors. behind the wall do you think people <coughs> um, understand your work I don't think it's that complicated I'm not necessarily I don't identify as a conceptual designer um, so I you know and I don't necessarily see myself as being particularly avant-garde if you wish Mm. which is something I feel some people over the last year have mentioned and you know when you think of it I don't I don't know I don't really need, uh, see it that way I don't see it as something that confusing to understand. So you grew up in Montreal and you've said in other interviews that fashion wasn't something that was sort of a big part of your upbringing which is interesting because a lot of designers sit here in this series and they talk about you know watching their mother get dressed and making you know, dull clothes. Exactly. <laughs> That's not what you were doing then. <laughs> no, not really. I think in the beginning I really wanted to have one of these adorable stories about, you know, making clothes for my sisters and stuff like that, but it was definitely not the case. Um, it's not that I had a particularly um, unattractive upbringing. I grew up in, in a suburb just outside of Montreal, which was really beautiful. And um, yeah, it was just kind of, it wasn't fashionable. But you cared about clothes, is that right? I cared about clothes. I think I, I cared about clothes. I cared about how people presented themselves. Um, I cared about like things that I didn't realize were connected to fashion until later on. I think visuals was a big thing. I also was kind of, I don't know. My, my two older sisters were quite, um, 
quite a bit louder in presence than me, I think, and um, kind of gave my parents a hard time. So, <laughs> so, you so, the good um, one so I was kind of left to, I, I was kind of like, oh God, um, just, I'm going to chill for a bit. <laughs> and so I kept to myself a little bit more and kind of gave me some time to daydream and get bored and and make things up. And then it was only later that I realized that sketching all the time and and being fussy about the way things feel and and being upset about how kids look at school um, sort of came together to to make sense when I started to develop an interest in fashion. And there's a line from an interview you did before, which I really, I just found interesting. You said, I guess people wrote off my weirdness as homosexuality, but I realized there was more to the story than being just some gay kid. Tell me at that point where you actually didn't feel like an outsider because of things to do with your sexuality or normal teenage things and you started mm. to realize that actually you were kind of yeah different or, or looking at, at normal teenage dress and normal teenage life and feeling separate from it I mean I kind of enjoyed observing I kind of always liked watching the kids at school but I always sort of was I didn't really understand why they chose to I think not necessarily strictly about clothing, but I felt like the way that people conducted themselves and and to be honest, like you know that that quote makes it sound a little bit harsh. I actually didn't have a hard time at school. I wasn't picked on or anything. Mm. You know, I have plenty of friends, and I wasn't like a boohoo little gay boy. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I kind of um, I don't know. I just always felt like people could behave and look better. Better. You know, I say that when I wear this. Uh, um, but yeah, that's kind of, um, I kind of felt that way. I think it was, it had a lot to do with mannerism. I think it had a lot to do with the way that people presented themselves. I feel like the people, you know, were obviously putting attention into wearing certain clothes, like a Von Dutch cap or a Juicy Couture tracksuit. <laughs> Uggs. Um, but um, that was kind of the common denominator, but I felt like even though they were sort of structuring themselves to look a certain way, there was sort of this um, unawareness of, of, of the bigger picture and, and how they behave and present themselves. And I thought, you know, I guess that kind of build, built a little bit um, my interest in how clothing can communicate mm. quite a bit. I didn't go to a school that had, had uniforms. Mm. So um, I think from an early age, I kind of knew that that was a free place for me to, to have fun and, mm. and to try things out. I do want to talk about your, your parents because they don't, they don't come from creative backgrounds. Have they inspired you in any ways? Or do you yeah. think, yeah, tell me yeah, about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think what's most inspired me is their I think, you know, my parents had three kids and we're all very, very different and we live in different countries. Um, and I think my parents are such good-hearted people and wholesome people, but I don't think anything could have prepared them for the three kids that they got. <laughs> um, and I think there was a lot of times where they felt a little bit, um, not alienated, but a, f a bit like we're were from you know there's a confusion um but regardless of that they've always sort of you know it's unconditional love even through the confusion um mm. and the mystery of why we are the way we are and what we're interested in um yeah they just have never blinked you know has that notion of very different women with very different ideas of themselves has that mm. informed how you design yeah absolutely 
um, I have two older sisters and neither of them are particularly interested in fashion and um, and yeah I, th I think that's one thing that I, f I find really interesting is to have have been surrounded by women my whole life and and to have had so many uh, you know female family members and friends um, one thing I find interesting is that each of them are so different and mm. and, and I don't think any of the women in, of the, that have been close to me in my life from an early age in any way exemplify a stereotypical um, idea of femininity or sexiness. Um, so I think my understanding of femininity and, and, um, and the appeal of women, both socially and, and physically, um, wasn't necessarily rooted in anything glamorous or feminine or sexy in its mm. typical sense. It's really nice to see how that's kind of filtered into my work and you know I find it strange when people come to me and say oh your work is androgynous or it's masculine at times and I don't really see it that way because the women that have surrounded me my whole life you know it's not that they're particularly masculine it's more that they might not fit within the typical female demographic. What is femininity to you then? It's extremely specific to each woman. You know, there's sometimes where you get, you meet somebody and, um, you know, you kind of understand that the only way they could be that way is because they're a woman. Mm. And it's not because they've got breasts or wearing lipstick or anything like that. It's, you know, you, I, I love meeting a woman who is, you know, just has something that could only really be explained by her and, and the fact that she's a woman and it, it feels very special in that way. You studied fashion in a very technical way. Yeah. And tell me the point where you, you applied for that and you thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do, because that must have been some sort of conscious choice that you wanted to move into fashion. Yeah, definitely. I, I made the decision quite late. I made the decision when I was graduating from high school to, to go and study at a technical college in Canada um, in fashion, which at the time, I thought would be like sketching and you know hanging out with girls and you know <laughs> playing with clothes and um, just being super super creative all the time but it was um, I think I kind of I that's when I really grasped them the industry in Canada is very different to what I had you know fantasized fashion to be like where they're really sort of training you and rightfully so for a commercial job in product development and mm. um, and merchandising and so and there's a huge amount of clothing manufacturing still now in Canada mm. so you know there's obviously an industry um, that needs to be fueled with mm. people. So it sounds to me like you didn't enjoy college that much. I became so obsessed with moving to London and and studying at St Martin's and I really was thirsty for um, the polar opposite in, experience, mm. in, in educational experience, mm. where I really wanted to go and immerse myself in something purely creative. Why London? I'm interested, where was that, that obsession with London coming from? And certain designers like John Galliano and Hussein Chalayan and Alexander McQueen and Sharon Walcott and Preen. Um, I kind of saw um, a common denominator amongst a lot of them. Mm which was um, Central Samaritans. Mm. So I became immediately obsessed with going. And I've always sort of been the kind of person who decides something and then 
forces it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I kind of just sort of wrote it down in blood and I was like, I'm going to go to St. Martin's and, and do it. And there was also, it was a really interesting time. This was 2007, 2008, um, and there was a lot of young people. Mm young people in London who were fashion designers or stylists and just people going out looking amazing. Mm. And you think of boombox and, and these sorts of parties that were happening. And I just found it really impressive um, and attractive to see how many young people were celebrated and, mm. and encouraged to do whatever they feel like doing. Um, and how much there was an enthusiasm for youth and, and for creativity in London mm. that I didn't notice anywhere else. Um, so that kind of really motivated me as well to make the move. Did it occur to you what you'd do if you, if you didn't get in? No. You just knew you would. I, just, I didn't know that I would get in, but I, I actually didn't apply anywhere else and I didn't have any any plan B's or C's. I was just kind of, it has to happen. You always think that you'd found that you'd start your own brand or was that something that just kind of happened? Well, it didn't just happen, but I think when I started St. Martin's, I didn't want, I didn't want to start my own label after school. Um, I remember saying that the last thing I wanted to be is like a young, starving designer in East London. <laughs> Ta-da! Um, yeah, no, I didn't want to do that. And um, and then I graduated and I realized that the work I had done that I was really proud of and what was in my sort of final portfolio was perhaps a little bit too personal and, um, and, and too narrow in vision to bring to a company. It's interesting that you talk about it being, um, you talk about it in the sense that it wasn't that approachable. And I think that's one of the things that I really admire in your work and maybe you disagree with me, but I think there is a definite um, Chilliness would be the wrong word, but perhaps, and I mean this is a compliment, definitely challenging. It's not always sunshine and lollipops. I don't necessarily see the approach as, you know, flowers are pretty and make people feel happy, so I'm going to put flowers on a dress. Mm. You know, I don't, I don't work that way. Having said that, I'll probably put flowers all over the next <laughs> Um but, but yeah, I think, you know, people don't necessarily see it as, and this is one thing I was having a conversation with, Kathy Horn in, in Paris uh, last month and I don't remember how we got on the topic but I did sort of mention to her that you know people sort of expect fashion to make you feel good and to mm. be generally a happy place and for it to be gen you know all around visually attractive mm. um, and I find that strange, especially in this area of fashion, that you know, designers have a certain pressure to, to do something that as many people as possible will find attractive or find pretty or pleasant or mm. beautiful. Um, and that I feel the, the window of opportunity to find beauty in, in things that you wouldn't normally find beauty is closing. And it's is that because of the smaller. pace of fashion? I think it's because of an idea that there's such a wide audience and that there's a, there's a huge potential, this idea that we need so many products and that there's so many consumers to feed clothing to. Mm. I think that that's when, that's when I guess you might start to feel a pressure to, to make things that are perhaps a little bit more generally pleasant. Whereas you're happy if certain people don't like your work? Yeah. Yeah. 
And even if they don't like it, you know, I've always been the kind of person who, you know, I, I always put my foot in it by saying that I'll never do this or I hate that or <laughs> I'll never wear that. And then it's like I can always sort of see the words coming out of my mouth and it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> now I love it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I kind of know from personal experience that when, you know, there's quite a few things where I've gone, ugh. And then for some reason just can't stop looking at and mm. thinking about. Mm. And I like that. I like sort of being able to track some kind of mental evolution. Mm. <laughs> the mission isn't to please as many people as possible and as quickly as possible, that's for sure. Mm. Um, but it isn't necessarily, I don't give myself the challenge of pissing people off. Yeah. Um, I'm a little bit more introverted than that and I kind of like to keep keep things kind of under control and quite focused and, and I like to have the freedom to do what I want. Do you think you would have done better if you'd played to that system, if you'd given some nice show notes with all your inspirations and if you'd been very clear about what your aesthetic was very early on? And I think I would have probably had, uh, I would have probably offered people a bit more to speak about because people really like having already like a pre-arranged tagline. Um, so I could have just been a blabbermouth and made up inspirations and concepts and just let it rip um, and then perhaps that would have filtered into more media attention or features or what have you um, but I guess that wasn't really my motivation. Do you think your notions of what it means to be a successful designer have, have changed? My understanding of success as a fashion designer has shifted quite dramatically over the last 10 years, maybe the last six, eight years. Um, and I think a lot of the sort of heroes of fashion and those who were really in the limelight and in the spotlight for people like my age, um, people like Alexander McQueen and John Galliano and, um, and just seeing their sort of climb to success and seeing, you know, how they could be at the top of the industry and, and then to see how things can change really sharply. Um, I think it's kind of offered a lot of young designers um, the chance to reassess an understanding of success in fashion mm. and what, what qualifies being successful as a creative person and in this fashion world. So for you to feel like you've achieved your goals or you've achieved a notion of success, what would need to happen? To be happy and to make beautiful clothes. And I always say that, I think, you know, at the and I know that sounds a bit romantic and a bit wishy-washy, but I think it doesn't matter really, you know, in, in 15, 20 years, if I'm happy and I'm still making beautiful things, um, I think I'll identify myself as a successful person.